0: Shabbat Shalom. I want to take a little different, a little different approach here tonight to Yom Kippur. We always, we always talk about the solemn feast, that it's a solemn feast, but in fact it's a day of rejoicing. And I'm not sure that we as, a, I don't, I'm not sure that we as, one, Messianic believers, two, as Christians, and, uh, well, let's just say one and two really understand what joy we are supposed to have at this season and at this time, this Yom Kippur. So everyone knows Rosh Hashanah is the day of Yom Teruah, the day of trumpets, the blowing of trumpets. We see Yom Kippur as the day of atonement. It's literally the day that you're atoned for. So what does that mean? So Rosh Hashanah, what happens? All mankind, every man, every living being, every created being, not only every living being, every created being, all those that have died and all those that raise, all of the angels, all of the beings that have been created are led before God like sheep at Rosh Hashanah. And there he decides who will be blessed and who will be impoverished, who will be given many things, who will be given less, who will be cast into the outer darkness, who will be given to heaven. It's at Rosh Hashanah, the decision is made the day you're judged. It's at Yom Kippur, 10 days later. That you receive your atonement. Which means your sins are washed away. Which means you're completely forgiven. Which means the the king goes into the temple and he places the blood on the altar and he forgives you. We We don't recognize the fact that This day is actually a day of rejoicing and imagine, and the reason we don't, I'll even say I'll add the fact that we fast. Fasting is a a solemn thing. The the Bible talks about fasting when you fast, you know, wash your face, go out into the market, go out into the streets and make sure that uh, people don't know that you're fasting. They want you to hide the fact that you're actually fasting because if you go out there... Drev and down and, and upset, and it looks like that you're attempting to show the world that you're, you know, struggling. I mean, there's even people I've known that have come up to me, literally said, you know, they look down. I'm like, well, you look kind of down. And then they'll say, well, I, I, you know, I'm fasting. Well, that's like against the scriptures, right? No one's supposed to know that you're fasting, they're supposed to just think that business is usual. However, this Yom Kippur fast, think of it a little differently this year. Have you ever done something that's just so fun and so wonderful and so amazing that you forget to eat? Have you ever been engaged in an event that was just overcome you or with a person that you really like? Or care about or love and you're talking and you and you just get enveloped in the conversation and before you know it it's been 12 hours and you're like what in the world how did this time go where did the time go we didn't even eat arguably when you come into Yom Kippur the reason we fast is because we don't need to eat we're in the presence of God. We are full of, are full of uh, joy and excitement for having been forgiven and atoned for that we are just rejoicing in a way that we don't even need to eat. The sustenance that we have is the communication we're having with God the entire day of Yom Kippur. How many know you're supposed to pray during Yom Kippur, Right? supposed to spend the day in the presence of God you're supposed to spend the day praying and talking to him and they say fasting but the reality is is that you won't even have to think about the fast if you are actually spending the time in his presence because you'd be absolutely enjoying yourself it's a different spin on this holiday but I think that and it, that's, not, that's not new, by the way, that idea. There are many religious Jewish sects that believe th- that this is the crux of Yom Kippur. Right? It's an exciting day. In fact, at the end of the service, when they say the Ne'ilah, which is the final, the final prayer of Yom Kippur, which we don't have, but I'll do a little bit of it, but when they say the final Ne'ilah, Afterwards, the entire congregation goes out in dancing. On Yom Kippur, they're all dancing. They break out in dancing. Why? Because the atonement has been done. They've been atoned for. The final prayer is called Ne'ilah. The word means locking. It means Locking okay and what it what it what it's meant to suggest that at the end of the service there's a locking of a door and it's meant to represent the locking of the temple doors at the end of the service when the rabbis are done and finished they lock the temple doors So we say this, Ne'ilah. And the question is, at the end of Yom Kippur, when we are saying the Ne'ilah, and there is a locking of the doors, are you on the inside of the temple, or are you on the outside of the temple? Are you inside with God when the doors are locked, or are you outside with God when the doors are locked? If you think about it, at the end of Yom Kippur, when we are all atoned for, we're either on the inside or we're on the out. Those of us that are on the inside who have Yeshua HaMashiach, we can do nothing but have joy. Imagine the temple has been locked, you're on the inside, Yeshua is there on a throne all you're going to be doing is having joy when the real Yom Kippur is fulfilled because it will be fulfilled just like Rosh Hashanah will be fulfilled we will all be led before the king we will all be led before him we will all be be judged against our actions in life And Yeshua, who is our mediator, as we have the Holy Spirit in our our bodies, when we accept Yeshua, the scriptures say that when you accept Yeshua, that the Holy Ghost enters you. And so we have Yeshua, he's our mediator, he knows us, we recognize him. And those of us that know him, he says, the shepherd says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep also, which is interesting, know my name." Now, what is His name? We can say it's Jesus, because the world sees Him as Jesus, but those of us that really know Him know that His name is Yeshua, which means salvation. The meaning of His name is who He is. That's why it's so important about your name. Your name is very important. So the meaning of his name is who he is. The meaning of Jesus is a derivative of a derivative of a derivative. Not to say that you can't say Jesus, but you can say Jesus, but my point is if you know who your Mashiach is, you know his name is Yeshua. And guess what? There's a lot of people in the world that are recognizing this. There's a lot of churches that they're not calling him Jesus anymore. The closer you get to the coming of Mashiach, the books and the scrolls are being opened. The hidden things are being made realized to all the people. Not just just a certain little small sect, but there are sects of sects that are coming to understand that Yeshua Hanatsri. The Melech is coming to raise the dead, open the graves, lead the people before him that his scepter might judge, put down the evil one, and raise his elect to a place where they too sit on the throne with Yeshua. It's a different way of thinking as Messianic Jews when you come into this this holiday. We can't just think, woe is me, and constantly beat at our chests at this point. There's a moment of beating at your chest. But that happens, I believe, throughout the ten days that we just experienced, right? You you have ten days to go through Yourself, Your life. What you've been doing. Who you are. You have ten days to reconcile. And when you come before Yeshua. You get to a point where he recognizes you. Just like you recognize him. You know each other. And it's going to be a beautiful ceremony. Of, of coming in, into terms. With what God made you for. Who he made you to be. And who he desired for you to be. It'll be a complete Fixing of who he desired for you to be versus who you actually were. Book of Micah, chapter 6 Wherewith shall I come before the Lord? I bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Or shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He showed me what is good. And what does he require of me? I have to be just. I have to be merciful. I have to be humble before God. I have to love mercy. When I want to be evil and have no mercy, I have to love mercy. This, this, this week, uh, there are people in your life that you'll meet that you just really can't stand them. It's a fact. And I just so happen to get to see someone like that every week. And I'm thinking, every time he talks, it's like piercing me. In, like some of you probably feel about me. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this dude is full of himself, you know. And like, I can't handle hearing him talk. But then this week, in these ten days, I got a check in my spirit. And I'm probably going to go visit this person and talk to him humbly and have mercy. Because it's important that we don't have that with, the, with, with people. Now, this person is not even a believer, by the way. Okay, this isn't like, you know. But me as a representation of God in the world, if I don't provide myself as someone who knows God, how, how will they ever know, Potentially. So it's important for me to recognize that one, I represent God; two, I'm living. I, I have thoughts in my heart and in my mind that are wrong and evil. I have to fix those and I have to fight those. And I have to be just, and I and I have to love. I have to be merciful to people, and I have to walk humbly with God. It's not humble, FYI, to not like someone. When you look at someone and you think to yourself, "Who does that guy think he is?" that's not humility because you've automatically automatically set yourself in a position above them by saying who do they think they are no matter where you are in your status in life you've automatically put yourself in a position and said they think they're this or that but i know better now you've made yourself better you're not humble that's not humility So what humility is, is that everyone is on the same plane. Everyone is worthy of honor. Everyone is worthy. No matter who they are in life, no matter their status, no matter their position, no matter their their job, they're all worthy. We're all children of the living God. Therefore, we must be humble with each other. That's a big thing that we, have to, that we have to think about. To be honest with you, it's one of the largest sins that every one of you have. Even if you don't think it is, it is. It's one of the largest sins you have, is looking at someone else and having aught with them inside of your heart. The hardest thing to do is to be purely loving to everyone. So we have to fix it. How do you do it? You've got to live justly. You have to love mercy and walk humbly. This is the holiest day of the year. It's the holiest day of the year because it's when Yeshua himself steps into the temple and cleanses the earth. Literally cleanses everyone. And purges at the same time. Remember what we say at the end of uh, Rosh Hashanah? What do we say at the end of Rosh Hashanah? Somebody... Not you. Someone else. What do we say at the end of Rosh Hashanah? May you be inscribed in the book of life. Guess where you're inscribed? Yom Kippur. Right now. This is it. This is the inscribing. This is the sealing. This puts you in the book. So at Rosh Hashanah, we're telling everyone... You know, may you be inscribed in the book of life. May you be inscribed in that Yom Kippur. It happens. It's a beautiful time where Yeshua fulfills and completes His mission as Mashiach ben David. Do you realize that God on this day is going to rejoice in such an amazing way Because we went from the God, we went from Gan Eden, where He had to push us out, to Yom Kippur in the future with Mashiach Ben David, where He brings us back in. It's full circle. It's exactly. It's God's most blessed day. It's the day God yearns for. It's the day God longs for. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. We don't know or realize this is his longing. We're in the midst today of his longing. That's why they say, find him while he, seek him while he can be found. For the king is where? In the field. And now the king is in the temple. The holiest day walking humbly beneath the glory and the dwelling of the presence of God. Sha'ar Tshuva, Sha'ar Tzedek, the gates of repentance and the great gates of righteousness are all open today. Sha'ar Tshuva is open. The gates of repentance are here for us to come back into what God has called us to, called His people to, don't run from Him or leave Him. We get so caught up. We get so distracted. Coming into Sha'ar Bita'chon, we've talked about that, the gates of trust, learning to trust God in life, the same way you'll trust Him in the Spirit when He returns, is very difficult. Living in the Spirit versus living in the flesh is very difficult. But this time, these seasons, this is when you truly learn the gates of trust and repentance they're open wide to Israel they're open for forgiveness and they're open for great awareness if you're not aware yet I'm not sure you'll ever be aware if you're not paying attention to the world and the spirit it's hard to get someone to believe or understand what it takes to pay attention to the world and the Spirit. What's happening in the spiritual and affecting the physical. What God is doing. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Yeshua says you can discern the weather, but you can't discern this time. Like Yeshua literally being kind of sarcastic. Okay. You can discern the weather, but you can't discern the time. Like, are you? ah, You'll never get it. Awareness is important, but the only way you gain awareness is by seeking. And the only way you seek is by learning. And the only way you learn is by reading His Word. And then taking His Word and seeing what's going on around you and attempt to apply what's happening. There's a lot of voices out there right now. There's a lot of voices and you can get distracted. Is the earth flat? We've been in that conversation lately. That's The world's talking about it all over the place. Is the earth still, I mean are we still having a conversation about whether the earth is flat? I told my dad the other day I think they have a great argument. I'm kind of feeling it. From a physics perspective it makes total sense. It's actually a pretty good argument. Okay, we have satellite pictures of a round globe. But maybe the earth is flat. I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying it's a good argument. But we're talking about it, right? We're talking about the earth being flat. We're talking about aliens right now all over social media. Everyone believes there's UFOs everywhere. The whole world now, there's UFOs everywhere. I mean, people are legitimate starting to believe in aliens. I kind of am starting because everyone else is. It's a little bit convincing the more they talk about it. That doesn't mean that, the, doesn't mean that God isn't real. It doesn't mean that God's plan doesn't exist. Even if there are aliens. It's, it's the same concept of if there's a rapture or not. It's very interesting. We're talking a lot about on social media about the rapture. I don't know if you guys are seeing all this. I don't even know if any of you guys even pay attention to social media. Or if you read the news. But the reality is that's what's going on in the world. So you want to see what's going on in the world. You've got to get a little bit of that. The reality is that what's going on in the world. There's a lot of pre-trivers that are now post-trivers. There's a lot of post-trivers that are pre-trivers. But the conversation is huge now. It's almost went away for a few years. Well, that conversation kind of died away. It died off. It didn't. It wasn't even a conversation. But now, with all the stuff going on, the global economy. The global religion, the global this, the global that, everything's coming together, everyone's money's being devalued, we're leading into a global depression. All the stuff that's going on that looks very much like uh, Daniel and Ezekiel, people are starting to talk about this stuff, and they're like, oh no, (laughs) the Bible prophesies this, and here we are in in a place... Maybe we are gonna to have to go through their tribulation. Oh, and then oh let's let's layer in the aliens in there. They're gonna show up and they're gonna make everyone fall away that was weak in their faith, because they're gonna tell everyone, We created you and they're gonna get confused. There's a lot of stuff going on in the churches right now that I think that if you're not paying attention to, you're going to lose it. We can be in our box and in our bubble. The reality is the world affects us. you realize that this winter you're going to pay 300% more for your heating bill? Fact. The average person is going to take 30% of their annual salary and pay their heating bill. Fact. 30% of their annual salary to pay their heating bill. That world affects you. If you don't know what's going on, you're going to get you're going to get lost. Then you're going to be when everything does go crazy, you're going to be running around saying, "Wait a minute, here what's going on? I didn't know the Euphrates River dried up. Why didn't someone tell me that it dried up and the angels were released and all these vials got dumped?" Right? Not to say that, you know, it happened or that it is happening. The Euphrates River is dried up, but who's to know where the, where the vials are and what they are? The point is, we have to be aware. This is a time of great awareness alongside great Repentance. And when I'm talking about your awareness, I'm talking about being aware of who you stand in front of. Have the da'at, have the knowledge of who you stand before. So that when things in the world go a little bit crazy, and things get flipped upside down, and we all get convinced that aliens are real and the world is flat, we still know that Yeshua is God and King, and regardless of the stuff that happens around me, I'm waiting to see him come in the clouds. And I'm waiting to see the one with the name on his thigh that says Melech King of Kings. I don't say "Vaot" and Lord of Hosts. That one, because someone else may come in the sky. Someone else may come out of the sky, and we could all be deceived. Because Yeshua literally says, "Many Mashiachs, many Christs will come before me and tell you that I am He, but He is not me." Remember, Jesus says that Yeshua. Many will come before I come and tell you that they are me, but that is not me. There's a guy in Russia right now, I don't know if you know him. Huge following. Calls himself Yeshua. Says he's Yeshua literally says that he is Yeshua the son of God literally has a church they literally sacrifice to him they literally hold him up you can google the guy Russia Jesus guy he walks down mountains in all white robes long hair and they worship him with their hands raised to him this is mind-blowing what's happening in the world Great awareness on this day, on this day of Yom Kippur. Following the cycle and the calendar of God that he established with his people in the scriptures. Following the Hebrew calendar. Following the the people of Israel. Not the people of the world. The Pope doesn't get it. FYI. Follow Israel. That's what the Bible was written for. There's no Episcopalian pastor or priest. There's no Pentecostal pastor or priest. No apostolic pastor or priest that gets it the way God wrote it. He told us what to do and what to follow. We have to just follow it. No matter what Well, I heard from God. I had a vision. I had a prophecy. I mean the prophecies now, right now that are all over the place are just mind-blowing. Many of them seem nice. They seem, uh, they seem very sweet. I have no problem with them because they don't affect salvation and they don't affect Yeshua. But there are those out there that they're absolute blatant misdirecting what God is doing. Misdirecting what God already established. During this time, we have to take great strides to do what? To search our hearts. Repent of the wickedness that's embedded within our flesh. It's a fact. It's a fact. Many over the past year, life's been difficult. I don't have a feeling that it's going to get easier. I don't have a feeling that it's going to be better. We've been overcoming challenges one after another. And it's getting even harder sometimes. Some of us have mourned through loss of death of a loved one while other of us have rejoiced or being surprised of conceptions of new children we've experienced physical pain we seem to con- that seem to control our own minds while others they're freed from sickness and disease and no matter what the experience over the course of this last year and our journey all of us have seen the movement of the hand of God we've all seen his power in the lives of people that are around us and in our own lives. And if you haven't recognized the power of God in your own life, you need to learn to recognize it. I was talking to somebody today about having faith. The entire, you realize the entire New Testament's about endurance. I don't know if you guys know that. The whole thing's about endurance. Endurance. just using logic that you would learn in eighth, ninth grade logic class. If someone tells you you're going to have to endure, what does that mean? Well, crap. I'm going to have some trouble. You're going to tell me I have to endure? Well, that means I'm going to have trouble. I don't want to have trouble. But the whole book is about enduring till the end. Wait for it. Because those who endure, those who don't quit, those who keep moving, those who keep focused and have faith, will do what? Be blessed and eat from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Always keep moving, always endure, no matter what the hardship, no matter what comes your way, endure through it and fight and believe and have faith that air support is coming. Air support is coming, and I told someone today, I said, look, if I decide to just stop believing that air support's coming and that that it's over... I might as well not even have faith in God. You might as well stop believing in God if you've made the decision that you don't believe God is going to fix the situations that you're in. If you continue to endure, those who wait on God are blessed. They're blessed. No matter what that means, there's a blessing at the other side of the waiting on God. And if you decide to stop waiting on God and say, well, God, I throw my hands up. It's over. He's not coming. Stop your faith. Stop believing. Sell your soul to Satan and he'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And life will be easy. Because that's what's happening. He has the power to give you the kingdoms of the world. You realize it. He'll give you whatever you want. He told Yeshua himself, I'll give it to you. You want bread? Turn this bread. We'll turn this bread into stone. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then what does he say to Yeshua? Cast yourself. He talks about the kingdoms, and I'll give you all these kingdoms. But the one interesting part is cast yourself down from here. And, you know, I was listening to a guy who said Yeshua never called himself God. This is interesting. I told this to my father this week. Yeshua looked at Satan, HaSatan, and he said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Get behind me, Satan. You know that Yeshua was talking in the first person there? Think about it. He literally tells, if you think about it that way, he literally tells Satan that he is Satan's God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Get behind me, Satan. For everyone who says that Yeshua never called himself God, that is like proof that he does. I mean, everybody thinks he's talking in the third person. And maybe it's written that way. And I don't care about the semantics and whether or not someone wants to pull out a book and make sure that I'm right about it. The fact is, it sounds to me like he's telling Hasatan, I'm your God, You don't tempt me, get behind me. Which is a beautiful thing. That's who we serve. That's who we serve, Yeshua. The one who can look at Hasatan in the face and say, get behind me, and he has to listen. But he'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you want them. You just have to reject Yeshua, and then you'll have to learn to endure the most beautiful reality that you and I will ever be able to share with God think about it it's the birth of new life the creation of nature the renewal of life from death far beyond our comprehension outside of the realm of understanding we live in this reality that requires that every new life springs forth out of death. Because it's from death that we mortal beings experience true life. And the abundance thereof. It's from death that life comes forth. Yeshua did it. The world around us. We talk about it. I, I share this all the time. But it's meaningful. And that also means that you have to die to something in your own life. Something has to die. To bring something beautiful there's a there's a story of a man I sent it to my mom in 2003 this man died in an airport dropped dead massive heart attack completely died they came they shocked his heart they did 10 shock treatments on his heart he said By the way, he's standing in front of the UN Security, the UN UN General Council. Okay, he's at the UN in New York, standing in front of the General Assembly, and he's giving a message. And here we are, that little baby, screaming and yelling. Here he is, giving this message, and he's saying, "2003, I died. I collapsed." Massive heart attack. They tried to fix me. Didn't happen. They worked on me for 45 minutes. The blood coagulated in my hands and my arms. The blood coagulated in my legs. Ambulance come, they do their thing. They pronounce me dead on arrival. He's dead on arrival, he's DOA. They put him in the ambulance, they cover him up. He's DOA. He's 45 minutes dead. No heartbeat, no pulse, no breathing, no oxygen, no nothing. They call, the, they call the hospital. We have a DOA. We're coming in. He's in Australia, by the way, Sydney, Australia, when this happens. He's from the United States. And he sits up. He's 45 minutes dead. His blood's coagulated in his arms and in his legs. He's got no oxygen to his brain. His heart is completely dead. They do 10 shock treatments to his heart. He's completely dead. There's no coming back from this. There's no medical reason for it. It's completely outside of science. It has nothing to do with science. You can't compress the guy's chest enough. You can't break as many you can't break all his ribs enough. He's dead. He sits up in the ambulance. He asks the guy what happened. And then he tells the General Assembly of the United Nations Jesus walked into that. He says, Jesus, because he's a reverend. He says, Jesus walked into that ambulance and stood me up. I was dead, and I'm alive. 45 minutes dead, and I'm alive. Because Jesus walked into that ambulance and stood me up. They did the test on the man, okay? They did test on this man. He's an older man. He's in his, what, 70s probably. They did test on his man. He goes, he does a full lipid, you know, profile. He does his, his HDL, his CDL, his CLDs, his LDLs, his name all the DLs. Del- the, 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 the he does them all. He does the whole thing. Then they say, you know what, we're going to do a DNA test on you too. So they do a DNA test on him. And he goes back a couple weeks later. They tell him, you're in the perfect shape. You're like, everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. And the craziest part of everything is perfect is when we did our D- the DNA test on you, the, the, the st- in your DNA there's a, some kind of something genome that says whether or not you're going to have heart disease. Every single cell in his body had no longer had that, that, that dysfunction. It was completely gone. The doctors could not believe it. They said, you are a medical miracle. This is impossible. It makes no sense. And the man looks at the UN Security Council and he says, listen, the only way to solve the violence, the only way to solve the problems around our globe is through Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. If you have war, you need peace, you need Jesus. That's what he's telling I don't know how the guy got on the stage of the UN Security General Assembly, but he did. With death comes new life. You need it. It's out of death that we, be, are mort- us as mortal beings, experience true life. When a child is born, a river of blood has to flow from, from his or her mother's womb. It restores her mother to life when that happens, giving her again the ability to create and populate the earth that was formed for man. Before the trees and the flowers of the field can blossom to newness of life and provide the world with colors that reflect the beauty of God, the winds have to blow upon them, killing them, so that we can experience renewed grace of their beauty each and every spring. It's necessary to experience death in order to achieve a full appreciation of the gift of life. 2 Corinthians 5. It says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in the tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon the mortality might be swallowed up of life. This Yom Kippur is the time that you and I should fully understand the discussion that Paul is having on mortality, the laws of death that are required for the giving of life. Paul shares in the curse of Adam and Eve in that he too groans and is full of sorrow, that we are not clothed in the glory and splendor of our majestic Father, but rather clothed in death, awaiting the swallowing up of life. This is the time of our awareness that the day is coming when the great and awesome Melech David will be manifest before the entire world judging the people of God and the nations for the actions that they have pursued in their mortal realities. And let me also tell you, not only judging them for their actions, but judging them against whether or not they kept his law That's a fact. The entire scripture talks about being judged on whether or not you keep his law. Last week we talked about, uh, I think it was dad that taught last week, right? On Shabbat. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. He said that. We talked about that in the teaching. If you love me, you keep my. We are measured against the commands of God, which is why at Yom Kippur we list out the commandments of God and we recite them and we give a a, a prayer alongside of them. We're going to fail those commands, FYI. We're going to fail. But we can't give our failure the occasion like we've talked about before. We can't give grace the occasion to allow us to sin. We have to do our best. We're going to fail him. And the beauty of that is that God, through our desires of our heart and our intentions, He sees the intent of our hearts, which is the spiritual. He will forgive us of our sins. On this day, this Yom Kippur. We're fleshly tabernacles of mortality, and tonight our spirits our spirits do mourn. To have the fullness of the presence of the Father cloaking us from our nakedness and clothing us in righteousness and life. That is the desire of our of our spiritual bodies is to be cloaked by God's righteousness and to clothe our, our, our physical nakedness with his spirituality. Be in his presence in his shenah. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5. Now he that hath wrought us from the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So we walk knowing that we're in in the house of the Lord, but in fact we're not. We're walking on this earth, but we walk by faith to know that we're really walking in ordered footsteps that God aligns. That we're really walking in the, in the path that God establishes. That's walking by faith, not by sight, no matter where we go. Now if we try to take control of that, then we step outside of that path. And then you should be really groaning because your endurance is going to have to be greater. Your times of trouble are going to be greater if you walk outside of the path of God. But if you're in the path of God, you sure will have to endure. And you'll have to endure because Satan, hasatan, the adversary, doesn't want you to succeed. The adversary wants you to fail. And so we are confident, it says in verse 8, and I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, wherefore we labor... That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. We labor, meaning we work hard at our faith. We work hard at seeking God. We work hard, we labor to be in God's presence, to know Him, to know Him more, to seek His truth. How many of us are laboring every day to know Him? Really, if you're aware of what's going on around you, you should be actually getting closer to God, not further away. If you're aware of the world around you, you should be moving closer into him because now everything's getting confusing. The world's starting not to make sense anymore. For we must all appear, appear, it says here in verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Mashiach. That everyone may receive the things done in his own body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men that we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. The great and terrible day of the Lord, it's coming, it's coming, it didn't come this Rosh Hashanah. It's coming to the earth and all that is created within it will experience His glory. The mighty scepter of Yeshua's judgment is being held back only by the hand of the Father. And when He releases His Son, we will stand before the throne of His Majesty humbly in awe and in repentance. When He releases His Son, imagine you're going to stand there in awe. And that's what is important about this holiday. It's a very... It's another part of the holiday where the Jewish people all over they say the, the word all, to be in awe of God. It's a major theme for this, for this holiday. And so here we are thinking about it when the Mashiach comes back, standing in awe of the Messiah. Standing in awe of him, showing up and returning, that Yeshua was released by the Father to come and to come and do His bidding, to stand there with His scepter to ensure the repentance of His people. Not one will run to His throne in confidence. I believe that with my whole heart. We talked about the keter. We talked about the keter, the crown. Right? We, Brian, Brian uh, spoke about it here just a, a little bit ago. How we will. Cast our crowns at the feet of God. You think you're gonna run up to the throne all excitable during this season? Hey! I was waiting for you. And then run up there. I don't think so. It's gonna be it's gonna be a different feeling. We're just gonna be in awe. All of us will stand in judgment and inevitably realize our wickedness in light of his holiness. And that's the different feeling. When someone, when someone comes before you, that is, when Yeshua stands before you in all of his greatness and all of his holiness and you stand there juxtaposed to that, you're going to feel unworthy. For all the things you've done, it doesn't mean that you're going to not feel loved. Because guess what? We say Avinu Malkeinu in this in Sadur. This, this Avinu Malkeinu. Two statements that are very, very different. Two names, two titles that are very, very different. Avinu, my father. Malkeinu, our king. Two different things. On one hand, he's my father. On one hand, he's my dad. On one hand, he's my Abba. I can run to him without fear. On one hand, he is, he is my, my, my protector. He's the one who hugs me and holds me tight when I'm sad or I'm down or I'm scared or afraid. He's my Avinu, my, our father. And on the other hand, he is our king. He is sovereign He's to be respected. He's to be admired and adored. He's to be hallowed. He's to be worshipped. Two different different people. So yes, you're going to want to run to him. You're going to know that you're being judged deep down inside because today he sits before you as a king. But down inside you know he's my father and he loves me and he's bringing me in. So you wait for him to do so on this Yom Kippur. With our eyes and our knees bowed low, we cast our crowns to him in re- rehearsal of, of his coming, and we ask the Father who's in heaven, holy is his name, whose kingdom is coming. Did Yeshua teach us how to pray? He told us to pray, Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Your kingdom is coming. Your will, I desire for it to be done on earth in accordance to what is in heaven. Give us the holy manna from heaven and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive all of those who've trespassed against us. Tonight, Lord, we pray that you lead us away from temptation, that you deliver us from the evil that lurks within ourselves and the world and all around us. You realize that God thought it was that important to mention Satan. Satan. I told my mom the other day I don't think about Satan. I don't even think about him. I don't want to think about him. It's not even a picture of my mind. I don't care. I'm focused on what God has for me and I got to do it. He's going to throw darts and I'm going to block him. But then God showed me that Yeshua thought it was important that every single day when we pray that we cast Satan behind us. When he taught us how to pray, he literally said that we have to take and ask him, the Lord, the Father, to deliver us from the evil one. Every day when we pray, we have to pray for God to deliver us from the evil one who is trying to do what? He's seeking to destroy He's lurking about like a lion to to take us out. Destroy our souls. Because he does not want God to have your soul. Fact. He does not want God to have your soul. Therefore you have to learn to pray. And rebuke the enemy. Rebuke the devil in your life. And all around you. And in your thoughts. Rebuke the enemy, rebuke Satan. There's nothing wrong with that. I grew up in a family that, my mom probably said I rebuke that. I mean, that was like literally every other word. Uh, I mean, it didn't matter what it was. I fell on my knee and skinned it. I rebuked that and you shoot I I burnt my tongue on food. I rebuked that. I mean, it was rebu- everything was rebuked the whole, the whole my whole life. I was like normal to me. But there's value in rebuking the enemy on a daily basis in your life because he's working. FYI, he's working. And he's working on you and it doesn't matter who you think you are. I don't care your age. I don't care how, how, how knowledgeable you are. I don't care what, you, what your, your, uh, your intelligence level is. He's working on you. And he's tricking you. And he's deceiving you because he's very tricky why do you think we're all sitting here clothed and not naked he's tricky he was able to take the first man who walked with God and heard the voice of God in the garden he was able to take the very first man who actually was in the presence of God born in it lived in it breathed by it was able to take that man and turn him against his own father you think he can't do that to us? Who's never seen the Father? We've never seen the Father. We are living by faith. Tonight on Yom Kippur and every Yom Kippur in the past and everyone in the future, if God does not return, we're made aware of our mortality, we're made aware of our sin, and, and we're made aware of the death that we have caused in order to bring forth new life the death that we have caused Genesis chapter 3 it says unto the woman he said i will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children then they desire and thy desire to be to thy husband and he shall rule over you As we reflect back on the curse the day of our separation from the father and his spirit it's here that that we begin to understand the fullness of God's mishpatim the fullness of his judgment and his grace his mercy his ken The very character of God's mercy, the grace that we ascribe to the books like Hosea and the message of the New Testament was not merely revealed over the course of time, but rather is a revelation that appears within the scope of the very first first days of man's existence. It doesn't take thousands of years for God to reveal himself to man. He gave all of himself from the day that Adam was created, from from the day that you and I were born. We have had the capability and access to knowledge, to da'at of God, yet due to our infantile understanding and our minimal spiritual capacity, we're forced to learn this majesty over time. Because the wickedness of our flesh cannot bear His light, and our self-judgment cannot comprehend His mercy. We're responsible for holding back His blessing because we're afraid of the power that he embodies. These days beginning at Rosh Hashanah and continuing toward this day of Yom Kippur they're the days of, uh, are the days that our sages believe to be the creation of Adam and Eve. Full circle, like we talked about in the beginning. This is the Lord's day. This is his day. This is his vindication. This is his his absolute joy. He cannot wait for this day to bring his people back in. Back into the garden. Back into Alam, Habab, back to the world which he is going to create. He cannot wait for this day. The day that that, that, that man was created, the very same day, it implicates... He was already judged. Thus, in the span of time, though we we see thousands of years pass before our eyes from the vantage point of God, we've already been judged from the very day that we're created. And it's said by the sages that on these days of judgment, all inhabitants of the world, they pass before God, what? Like a flock of sheep, and we've talked about it. It's decreed in the heavenly courts, who shall live and who shall die, who shall be impoverished and who shall be enriched, who shall fall and who shall rise. It was on this day that Eve was judged to labor in sorrow when she brought forth life from her womb. Just as the joy of God's labor during the time of creation has turned to sorrow, so must the woman of creation realize the burden of sorrow that God bore when His children turned from His way and embraced their own. Imagine. His children turned from Him and embraced their own way. Now she has to feel the pain that He felt. And if every death, the death of the womb, because that's what's happening in the womb, it's a death, brings new life. And God is bringing new life in your life. He's bringing it to a death. And that death starts with Repentance. Her experience in giving in birth, it's reminiscent of God shouting in pain, travailing in, in absolute abandonment, clutching violently at his throne as, as we passed from the robes of his Shekinah to the death of sin. The shout of a woman grieving the death that is passing through her womb and finally realizing the life that is birthed from it, now must become God's reality. Yom Kippur is the birth. The rebirth of his people. It's a joyous day. This is the rebirth. The world, it's going to labor, mourn for pain and sin. Yet the day will come when we will pass through the womb of judgment and find the mercy that is harbored within the heavenly courts of God's presence, passing into eternal life with God. His whole intention, his whole purpose, that we live in eternity with Him. That's honestly the purpose. He was destroyed so that you and I could be recreated in his image and in his likeness. And because he was the one that could bear our sins and survive our temptations. He knew we couldn't survive. He knew we would fail. He knew we could not be perfect. So he himself was made perfect. He himself was made whole. So that we can have life everlasting. And have the Holy Ghost living inside of us. Verse 17 of chapter 5, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, hast eaten of the tree of which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat, and in thy days of life thorns and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art unto dust thou shalt return the hebrew word for this this word used is itzabon it represents not only the sorrow or burden in the physical but one of the mind this is sorrow that burdens the deepest parts of the soul of man causing him to recognize his daily failures amidst the wonder and awe of the majesty of god And like Adam, Yeshua was required to suffer both in the physical and in the mind. The Lord suffered deeply in his passions, his heart, when we fell. So too do we suffer in our souls when we fall. We labor daily to feed our mouths and provide for our families and no longer being provided for by God's hand in the physical, but rather forced to work and labor for our earnings and wealth and deal with and and, and struggle with all of the thorns and the thistles that grow in our fields. But Yeshua was forced to labor in death so that he could bring to us manna from heaven and feed his family. We are his family. Provide for his children. We are his children. He is the bread of life. All that come to him will find rest and sustenance for their weary souls. That's a fact. I'm going to close with Luke chapter 8 verse 12 it says that those by the wayside are they that hear then cometh the devil there's that guy we were talking about and he takes away the words out of their hearts. he's a deceiver he's stealing every day he's stealing from us from the faithful from the godly, for the people who desire to be in the presence of God. He's stealing from us. He takes the word from their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear receive words with joy, and these have have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation they fall away. So there's those. And we hope that you're not one of those that are on the rock. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to perfection. So there's people that are rich, Wealthy, they come into this life, they come to know the Father, but they just can't really get there. They cannot bring fruit to perfection. And fruit, remember fruit isn't what they're earning, that they're making, because these are wealthy people. They can't bring fruit, meaning what God desires for them to do. Get the message to the lost, whatever it may be. They can't bring fruit to perfection because they just can't quite get themselves to do what God wants. Because they're tied up with what they want. But that on that good ground are they, it says. Which is an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. That's the hardest thing to have. I'm a very type A personality. I have like zero patience. I don't wait for anything. I have a hard time waiting. I hate it. And it drives me insane. But I have to, with patience, wait on God. There's a scripture, and I don't know exactly the, the reference, but it says that you have to be like the farmer who plants his seed, and then waits patiently for it to bear its fruit. Those are the ones that wait on God and are blessed. See me, I'm going to pick that strawberry when it's this big and just pop it in my mouth. But that strawberry didn't really bear fruit the way it should have. So here those. This is something I need to learn. If you're on good ground, you have an honest and a good heart. You've heard the word, and you keep it, and you bring forth fruit with patience. And no man, when he hath lighted a candle, cover it with a vessel, and putteth it under a bed, but setteth on the candlestick, that they which in that end may see the light, for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be made known, and come abroad." take heed therefore how ye hear for whosoever hath to him shall be given whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seems to have that verse 18 really strikes me hard I want to be the one that hath so what does that mean? I don't want it taken from me means I have to live with a good and righteous heart, walk justly, love mercy, live humbly before God. Tonight, we are likened to the angels. And for the next 26 hours, we have no requirement, we have no requirement of food or selfish wanting. Because we're ecstatic Because we're full of joy. And who has time to eat when they're so full of joy? Not me. You're simply cradled by the arms of God. You rest peacefully in his mercy. And in, and, and, and in his judgment, because his judgment is full of mercy, and you find hope in his spiritual dwellings. For the next 26 hours, we realize that we are absent from the body in order to be present with the Lord, as we as we read about here. We're living in the spiritual for the next 26 hours. We're literally living in the spiritual. What does that mean? It means get yourself some awareness. Gain awareness. For the next 26 hours. Stop living in your own bubble and outside of God's. Get into God's bubble. And get some awareness. For the next 26 hours. When you fast. You're in his covering. You're in his contentment. You're in need of nothing human, nothing foreign to his presence, only embracing the power and the glory of his mercy and his love. And may you tonight realize your forgiveness and embrace the beauty of his grace as he wraps us in his wings around us and, and around our wearied souls because they are wearied. If, you, if your soul's not wearied, you're, you're an alien. Be encouraged, be full of faith, hide not your light from the darkness of the world. Embrace the lost, embrace the weary, embrace the needy, the unrighteous, as they require your heart to be strong and courageous. And in closing, may we ultimately be inscribed in the Lamb's book of life forever and ever, perpetually. Amen? Amen. And we're going to do two, thing, two more things before we, stu- before we end we don't have the ne'ilah, we don't do the ne'ilah but we're going to do a portion of it and what the congregation does is they say the Shema, they speak the Shema together three times in a row and then after that seven times they say Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Eloheinu we're going to say Yeshua, hu Yeshua is our God, we're going to say that seven times so with joy and loud we say the Shema Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavod Malhuto Leolam Vaed Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavod Malhuto Leolam Vaed Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavod Malhuto Leolam Vaed There were many of you that couldn't say that because you're used to singing that. But that was funny. That's a big deal to say that. To shout that out, even in your heart. What is it telling you? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is his glorious kingdom. The name of it. Forever and ever. That's an important thing to know and remember. Every day, even in the morning, or when you go through something, or Satan tries to come and attack you. Say the Shema to yourself. Why? hero Israel, make yourself know. Satan, get behind me. The Lord God is one. And guess what? Yeshua Hu Elokeinu. Loud, say it. Yeshua Hu Elokeinu. Yeshua Hu Elokeinu. Yeshua Hu Elokeinu. Yeshua Yeshua, who elokeinu? Yeshua, who elokeinu? Yeshua, who elokeinu? Yeshua, who elo-keinu. Yeshua, who elo-keinu. Yeshua, who elo-keinu. Yeshua is our God. If you, if you can't scream those things out and let the world know and let Satan know in front of you, then you're going to not endure. We have to endure. Amen. What's next? Me? It is our duty to praise the Master of all to ascribe greatness to the author of creation. For he made us unlike the nations of the lands, and has not placed us like the families of the earth. He has not made our portion like theirs, and and our lot like all their multitudes. And we bend the knee and bow, and acknowledge our thanks before the King of kings, the Holy One, blessed be he. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation, and the seat of his glory is in the heavens above, and the presence of his power in the most exalted heights. He is our God and there is none other. True is our King. There is nothing beside him. As it is written in his Torah. And you shall know this day and take to your heart that the Lord, he is God. In the heavens above near and on the earth below, there is none other. Amen.